is my co-host Aaron S. Lee. This is the first show for 2016. Happy New Year to all of you out there. What a ride. It's the show about bikes, riding, cycling. I said all three things at once, didn't I? One sport. We've got swimming and running, anything that tickles your fancy. It's a show which is brought to you by Australian Broadcasting Media on Radio Sydney FM, on digital and on FM, all around the world, not just in Australia, but uh, it's going to be a really exciting year this year. The summer of cycling has already got underway, but before we look ahead, we should talk to Aaron. He's been over in the United States for some months now. Uh, Aaron, welcome back, mate, and it's great to hear your voice. Happy New Year, mate. Oh, Happy New Year to you too, Rube. It's been, it's been too long, mate. We've been on sabbatical uh, for a couple of months now following the World Championships, but it's been uh, it's been a, a very interesting off season to what was a, a a pretty pretty good year of cycling in 2015. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought you know the uh, you know there's a lot of uh, controversy as you always do get in cycling, but uh, there's a lot of drama and some new faces sort of rose their head, and I think we've seen a changing of a guard in some of the areas. And uh, from an Australian point of view, some really good young talent coming through. But like you said, the World Championships were a fantastic. Uh, event, weren't they, and uh, the World Road Championships over in Richmond in uh, Virginia there. Uh, to tell us, Aaron, what was the sort of the vibe there in the States? Because obviously the uh, NFL season was on at the same time, and I mean, cycling isn't a major sport, but uh, what sort of vibes did you get about the, uh, the the cycling year in the US? Well, you know, the cycling, you're right, Rube, you know, the cycling plays, uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty far down on, on the ladder, so to speak, in the hierarchy of sports. Obviously, uh, the, the gridiron football, the American football, NFL season, which is just wrapping up this past weekend, heading into the playoffs, uh, it, it doesn't have the popularity it once had, especially during those years where one Lance Armstrong, um, you know, won seven at the time, won seven Tour de France titles uh, before they were obviously stripped away. Um, so I think it, it had hit its high point at that time, and it hasn't really rebounded in popularity. I think one of the problems that plague cycling in the U.S. is just a real lack of, of a grassroots program, which are things that I think Down Under does quite well. I think, I think Australia has such a phenomenal grassroots program, starting with BMX, moving into mountain biking, uh, the track program, and then obviously into the road for those who, who wish to go that route. But, but that said, I think the U.S. was quite happy um, to, to host the World Championships to bring a lot of the European, the, the great European riders that we see every, each and every day on the cycling news websites around the world. And we see, uh, obviously, on, on, on stations such as Eurosport and uh, SBS back in Australia as well. Um, I, I think there, there was a, a lot more interest in the sport. I think it actually, to, to be quite honest, I think the World Championships helped elevate races such as California Yeah, well, I know those, I mean, those races you spoke of, they're not easy races either, are they? They're high altitude and 
for the, a lot of the European guys who go over to race in Utah um, and in Colorado, you know, at the tail end of a season, it can be pretty hard for them. And uh, but it's a great experience for the American guys there to sort of uh, try and get a measure over the the uh, bigger name Euro guys and to perhaps uh, put their names forward for contracts in the future. No, absolutely. One guy that I'm really interested in is a young American by the name of Kiel Rajan. He, he was actually riding for United Healthcare. He has recently signed a contract. He'll be racing with Trek this year. Uh, I do not believe, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure because I haven't seen the final roster for the Tour Down Under squad that Trek will be fielding this year. I'm not sure if he'll be heading down that way or not, but he's a great young kid. He's won the Philadelphia Classic. Um, he, he's, a, he's one to watch for sure and, and we need guys like him we need Kiel, we need some of those guys we need, we need guys like T.J. Van Garner at BMC to, to, to continue his, his progress hopefully of, of being that great GC rider so it'll be very interesting this year to see how that pans out with the new addition uh, one Richie Port but uh, we, we need a hero here in the U.S. Ruth yeah, well, it's uh, going to be very interesting to see how TJ fits in with uh, Richie or vice versa. Speaking of which, you know, we've got an interview, two-part interview in this show with Richie Port, where I spoke to him, albeit a little while ago. It was just before his wedding. Um, but certainly he was talking, one, about the Tour de France route uh, for next year. And in the second part of the interview, we spoke to him about, you know, the life after Sky, how he's going to fit into BMC and how him and TJ are going to work together. But... Uh, you know, as, as you know, Aaron, the, the summer of cycling down here has already got underway with the uh, Mitchelton Winery Bay Criterium Series down in Geelong. Um, and a young gun, Caleb Ewan, he uh, won the series and he won three of the four rounds again. So he's going into the national championships down in Buninyong, Victoria, this weekend, uh, obviously with a big target on his back again. I mean, you were there last year, Aaron. You saw uh, Caleb uh, go into the nationals with the same amount of expectation, but he's a year older and a year wiser and a year stronger. What a great, what a great story, Ruth, uh, with Caleb. And, and, and it's, it's very exciting. And obviously, you mentioned he won three of the four stages at the at the at the Bay Classic. Well, this is his third year in a row. Am I, am I right there in saying that? That he's, he's won that race? Yeah, that's right, yep. Um, and uh, is it his third or is it, is it his fourth? What is it? I mean, I, I can't even remember now. Uh, don't, don't put the bar too high up. You're going you're gonna to have listeners will come in and uh, criticise us for getting it wrong. Let's just... He, he's the defending champion. Yeah, exactly. He's, been, he's become quite a fixture there. But what I love about, what I love about Caleb is that... Uh, uh, especially, I had a I had a real great opportunity last year to cover a lot of his races uh, in Lake Howie and Korea um, and Turkey, and and I actually had a chance to see him mature over those first six months of the season. They, you recall you and I chatting with with Matty White um, last year, and he said that that uh, basically they had an expectation of five or so wins for the season. Well, Caleb nailed those wins uh, en route to to earning eleven. Um, for the season, he, he captured about five of those in the first six weeks of the season. Now, talking to Matt White the other day for a story I was doing for Michael Matthews, one of Caleb's uh, fellow Australians and obviously Orc Green Edge teammates, I asked Matty, how, how many did he expect this year? And the total actually didn't change, Rube, but he still expects about five or six races. Um, from Caleb this year, but this year he wants five or six world tour races like the one he got on stage five at the Vuelta last year. And of course, I might be wrong on that stage as well, but like you said, we'll, we'll hear from that. 
Yeah, well, you're right. With the, he's, well, he got a stage win in the welter anyway, but uh, I, I think you're right. I think the important thing for this year was that he uh, he got some wins, but he was in races which were... There were wins in races which were up to his level. He wasn't racing beyond his level. At the same time, I know uh, Whitey said to me that uh, he also... The important thing was for Caleb to get through the year, and there would be periods in the year where he'd be struggling and finding it tough, which he did do, but certainly he came out at the end of it... Uh, pretty strong but um, Aaron we're going to talk about uh, the Australian Championships have you said Richie Port little flashback to the rest of the year but let's just get our breath back again first uh, Aaron because we haven't spoken to each other for a while I need a little bit of a breather here I think you do you're getting a little bit old these days and um, you haven't got so much hair oh sorry you haven't got any hair anyway <laughs> uh, let's just have a little bit of a uh, listen to some nice music a nice selection of yours Aaron and we'll come back after the break you're listening to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Travelling in a fight combi On a hippie trail head full of zombies I met a strange lady She made me nervous She took me in and gave me breakfast she said, do you come from a land down under? A women go and men wonder. Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? You better run, you better take cover.
Welcome back to Water Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness, and with me on the phone from the United States is my co-host Aaron S. Lee. Aaron, that was a nice little bit of music you just chose there. You haven't lost your touch, mate. Oh, mate. You know, when you're living in New Orleans here, which is is one of the real music capitals, real meccas of the world, I, I, I got I got to tell you, it's it's in my blood, man. <laughs> now listen, we're, uh, we're talking about the summer of cycling And I know we're talking about Caleb Ewan But Gracie Elvin, she won the, uh, the women's series uh, You know, uh, she did it again uh, She was actually saying she was hoping to go under the radar a bit Leading into the national championships, you know But I don't think she's done that But I think, uh, as you know, Aaron Anyone who's seen Gracie Elvin race You'll never let her go under the radar, eh? Well, not at all Considering that she has two national titles to her name she really knows how to turn turn it on in the month of January, doesn't she? Oh, she certainly does, and uh, just such a strong rider. And uh, the, the the road course, which uh, the women's race this year, by the way, will be held on the Sunday before the men's race on the Sunday afternoon. They've switched it from Saturday to Sunday, and uh, so this way it's going to get on television uh, live as well as the men's race, which is a great thing. But that course is a very, very strong course, or hard course. It requires a strong rider to win it. Hence, Gracie's won it. You know, we've seen uh, past uh, men's winners... You you know, like, um, you know, got to help me out here. I'm going to have a brain explosion. Uh, last year's... He, 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 you know, Heinrich Housel yeah. last year, obviously, for, for, the, for the men. And, and, and of course, um, you know, I, I think when I think about the last two years uh, of that course, I keep thinking about one Darren Lapthorne, who obviously just announced about a week ago, I think, that he's, he's retiring. He's calling it a career. At just 32 years of age, and, and of course we all know him as Lappers, and and he won the national title back in 2007, and what looked at the time to be one promising career. He did go on and had, had a, a, a very solid uh, Palmaris. Obviously, um, he took a year off there around 2008. There was a, a much publicized um, story. Um, and a tragedy re- regarding his sister backpacking in Europe, um, which which I think, from, from what I understand, I didn't have a chance to know Darren prior to that, but I know from those that did, said that he never quite came back as the same rider, which you can completely understand. But one thing he always did was show an amazing amount of class. And over the past two years on that course, a real gutsy effort in the last two laps and an attack, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right, and uh, you know he's he's certainly given it all, and uh, you know we wish him well in his retirement, and uh, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they've got a lot of respect for Darren, and uh, I don't know from the media, he's always been you know easy to talk to, very accessible, and uh, he's been uh, you know he's provided some great insights into into the racing. But uh, actually, another guy I just spoke to uh, before we uh, got went on air, uh, uh, a man of iron, the man of steel, I should say, Steel von Hoff, who won the. Criterium Championship last year. He actually got one over Caleb Ewan, remember that? And then he uh, came ninth in the road race to manage to get into the uh, uh, UniSA uh, team for the Tour Down Under. I spoke to him this morning. He's uh, he's pretty excited about the championships again. Um, you know, he uh, he hasn't done so much climbing uh, uh, as he had done this time last year, but he's pretty keen to not just try and defend his Criterium Championship, even though he says Caleb Ewan will be the favourite, but he also wants to give it a real crack for that national champions jersey in the road race. Well, I look forward to hearing that because I'm a huge fan of Steel Von Hall. He comes from that Andrew Christie Johnston um, learning tree, so to speak, with the Avanti program. That's right. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. And, they've, that... and, and, and he's a two-time. He's a two-time defending 
uh, national criterion champion. Won it in 2014. I think he shocked a lot of people in 2014. And I think last year his goal was to, to, to prove that it was no fluke. And he did just like he did just that. And as you said, beat a, a solid crowd, including the, the I guess, the, the reigning under-23 champion which was Caleb Ewan, as you mentioned. That's right. And, uh, and in the Bay, Chris, he's been, you know, obviously riding with the Avanti team, and uh, but his official team now is on the new uh, one team, the uh, Pro Conti team. So he's pretty excited about uh, the season ahead for them. They're going to do... Uh, he's going to do the uh, Cadell Evans Road Race and the Herald Sun Tour, then head over to Belgium to do some of the early early classics. But uh, certainly I think you'll probably see Steel still hovering around near those Avanti guys in the criteria because they'll be up against uh, the Oracle green edge to try who will be riding for Caleb but also for the road race and um, you know uh, you know we remember last year that's that's said does it uh, you know when it comes to the national championships in Australia and that course there in Bunny is is it a winnable race for someone outside of Orca Green Edge obviously Heinrich House proved last year that it can be done but the odds have to favor a team like Orca or even perhaps maybe a team like Draft Pack or Avanti where the teams actually have uh, you know a, 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 an impressive number of riders on on hand and it's obviously obviously not just a sprinter's course either no definitely not I've I, I got to tell you i tell you someone who I'd love to see win it and uh, Pat Shaw the ageing grandfather of the uh, Avanti team. <laughs> he's not that old, but he's he's a, he's a wise old head, and he got a great win at Port Arlington in the uh, in the Bay Criterium Series. And uh, if, if, you know, if anyone deserved a win in his career, as Pat Shaw, he's really got a wise head, and he knows how to read a race well. Um, and he's in very very good form. The Port Arlington course is the hardest of the three of the four circuits, and um, albeit it's a big difference between a Criterium and the road race, but you know what? He's got the street smarts to know uh, which will to follow and everything, but I reckon we'll see Pat Shaw certainly have a say in that road race. Hey, Rube, didn't Pat Shaw, wasn't he talking about retirement like two or three years ago? Yeah, it was a bit like me talking about retirement or, you know, change of lifestyle two or three years ago. Well, he did. He did. uh, Fantastic, Jake. Yeah, he did, he did. But, uh, you know, let's just tell you what, we'll, we'll come back very shortly. We're going to uh, take another short break. A um, little bit more of a word of the uh, national championships. But before we go too far ahead as well, just going to ask you, I'm going to come back and give you a few minutes of reflection here, Aaron, and give you at least a bit of a chance to think about 215 and a couple of the highs and lows. And I'll just throw the questions at you. You've got to give me quick answers. But you've got a few minutes now just to think about it. And uh, But first off... Pick another selection of your fine music and uh, we'll get back to you soon after the break.
Welcome back to What A Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness and with me on the line from the United States is my co-host Aaron S. Lee. So listen, I was talking about 215. I can't let go, as you know. I like to hold on. I'm a bit of a hoarder of memories as much as uh, as junk. So, um, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about 215, but I understand now you want to ask me. So at least I'll, I'll hand the toy to you. Well, you know, I mean, I've got to tell you, it was really hard to actually go over the whole year. That's the thing. I mean, this piece I wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald was, uh, it took forever and a day because it was just, uh, you know, just trying to remember all the things that happened to start with was hard. And then secondly, to uh, to pick one of the various items that uh, that I highlighted there. So, I mean, I guess I found the story of the day was the, you know, the Chris Froome scrutiny, the uh, scrutiny on the, um, or questioning over the legitimacy of his performances. Uh, you know, there's been following him ever, ever since he won it firstly in 2013 and this year you know he got uh, uh, you know a heap of scrutiny during the tour and then after the tour he went underwent independent testing and uh, and then he released the data that was published in Esquire magazine um, and he also released selected data from uh, 2007 when he was you know racing at the or riding for the at the UCI's World Cycling Centre comparative data and you know as you'd expect uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, applauded him for it and accepted the data. And and as you probably not surprised, there are others who were sceptical about it. So this story seems to be continuing on. Um, you know, you wonder how long it will actually last for. But it's a. Uh, I just found it was just a, an all-consuming story of the year. How does this play into Chris Froome's mindset moving into 2016? Oh, look, I think. Uh, you know, um, as he said during the tour, when he thought he had uh, done enough to um, to allay the uh, suspicions of him, um, you know, what more can I do? He said then, you know, with uh, everything. And so he did more. And I think now he's going to have to just sort of just focus on preparing and training for the tour. I mean, he will probably be expecting more questions about it. But you've got to wonder, um, you know, uh, you know how much longer, you know, I, I don't think he will allow himself to be bogged down in it. I think he'll feel, you know, he's probably be quite exhausted from having produced everything he has so far, but he's going to have to just refocus and just uh, just look ahead. Absolutely. You know, from my side looking at it, I, I think that um, a story that, that kind of broke later on in the year and, and that the ASO and the UCI, they just seem to not be playing well together at the moment. It's never been a beautiful, harmonious relationship, but any any thoughts that you have on their, their you know, pulling their races, which include the Grand Tours and a, and a few of the key classics, out of the World Tour. Well, Aaron, you know, this issue uh, between ASO and the UCI, it's like a tug of war, but it's been going on for years, really. Um, certainly, if AOC, the organisers of the Tour de France, were to take all their, well, they are, you know, their races have been taken from the World Tour for 2017 on, um, that really does take the guts out of the World Tour, or certainly the legit, legit, legitimacy of it. There was a tongue twister. But um, <laughs> but you certainly hope that that, uh, that common sense will prevail. That's a cliche, I know. But, you know, somewhere between the two, there's got to be some agreement made because both sides need, need each other, really. And, um, you know, 
if, if the Tour de France, though, were not to have the top teams in it, um, that would take some of the lustre out of it. And I know the Tour de France organisers want to be able to have, what, five wild cards now, and you sort of wonder, shouldn't the Tour be the, for the best teams? Um, you know, I still find it a mixed bag of uh, reasoning from both sides in this one, and unfortunately, this is going to be an issue that's going to continue on into uh, 2016, which we're already at. Well, was there any one story, any bit of controversy that really caught your eye? Oh, look, um, you know, I mean, the issue of rider safety, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you know, cars, motor vehicles, even riders didn't do themselves any justice by, you know, you know, trying to dodge, you know, um, in Paris-Roubaix, the, uh, the railway um, crossing um, barrier when it came down as a TGV came across. But, I mean, we saw cars, motorbikes, you know, hitting riders during races. I think that's, got a, that's getting a little bit out of hand now. Um, from a controversy, from from an Australian point of view, I guess you can't ignore the the uh, fractured relationship between uh, Simon Gerrans and uh, Michael Matthews on the Oracle Green Edge slash and Australian team, which came to the fore in the uh, World Championships where Matthews got second and Gerrans got sixth. They were both told they can ride for themselves. Um, that was the team instructions uh, by the team national uh, sports director Brad McGee. Whether it was the right instructions or not, um, you know, Peter Sagan, he, 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 he clinched a magnificent win. I don't know whether anybody would have been able to beat him anyway. But certainly it's clear that, that while Gerrans and Matthews are teammates, uh, they're not the best of mates. And, but they're both professionals. And they'll move on with it. You don't always have to be the best of mates to, to uh, be in the same team as someone. But uh, certainly you don't want the two, you know, riding, being in a situation to the detriment of each other. This year you'll see them probably only racing together, I think, in one of the spring classics in the Ardennes, and then they'll get together again in the Tour de France. Well, I'll tell you, I had a chance to, to talk with Michael um, with Lee maybe two weeks ago. and I asked him, what he, was there anything he'd do differently um, from the race in Richmond? And he said, he said the biggest thing was that he, you know, Sagan is, has a tendency to, 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 to attack, but reel in the attack he they really man and that he should have he should have joined Sagan um, on that final attack and that's where he made the mistake he thought uh, it was a, it was an issue of timing he said he thought he'd be reeled back in and he'd have another go uh, obviously that didn't that didn't pan out he said that he felt like the way his legs were feeling in that race and, and, and in the lead up uh, going into the race that he had the legs to beat him in a sprint yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure if he was with him there, he could have been it. So maybe it's just a question of timing, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, that's an opportunity that's come and gone now, so he's going to have to sort of learn from it. But, you know, you know Michael will get uh, opportunities up ahead, you know, I'm not so sure about uh, Simon Gerrans, but uh, certainly Michael will get his chances. And so long as he learns from this experience, I think that's the most important thing. Well, I think next year, and, and talking to him, it looks like the course next year, not quite as favourable for Matthews. It's a flatter course, um, but there there might be some interest. He, he talked about having some interest for the Rio course for the Olympics. He said they, he, the the AOC, the AOC has contacted him. He hasn't had a chance to to really review that course yet, um, but he'll be looking at it and seeing if it is something that he needs to mix into his schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of riders who are keen about the Rio course. One of whom is uh, we spoke about him earlier in the show, Richie Port, who's going to be riding for BMC as of this week. Well, he is now officially a BMC rider after leaving Sky. Actually, you mentioned about that uh, season review. I actually had one of Richie's quotes as as my quote of the year because remember during the tour 
He was uh, the victim of a uh, punch from one of the spectators on the side of the road. And I remember him saying, I don't think I deserve to be punched just for doing my job. End of quote. I thought, wow, that's, you know, the, 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 the riders go through a, a hell of a lot during a day in the tour. And they, as we saw this year, they got spat on. Um, we, we've seen for years that they get, you know, incredibly close to the riders and sometimes too close. But the riders accept that's part of one of the unique natures of the uh, elements of the sport. But, you know, to be punched by a spectator, uh, that's just not on. And I, I sort of really felt for Richie that day when he said that. He was he said it more out of dismay, you know, rather than anything that, you know, what do they do to deserve to be punched? I mean, it's a physical assault, for starters. But secondly, you can imagine when you're racing up a mountain and um, you're on the rivet uh, and then suddenly someone whacks you in the in the back or in the ribs. You know, that's just not on. No, it's not. Rip, i got to ask you, as a follow-up to that, do you think that you've ever deserved to be punched for doing your job? <laughs> oh, probably too many times, I'd say. But uh, fortunately, I've avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm still lurking, but I'm, uh, I'm not uh, sort of uh, doing a public engagement at the moment with the Twitter. Uh, still, still on a spell. It's just over a year and probably three or four months now. But uh, you know, I just um, I, I still have reservations now about. I know that the Twitter is uh, useful in a lot of positive ways, um, but there's a lot of hate out there as well, and I just needed a break from it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's just something which uh, you know my life is a lot more calmer now. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, very interesting people out there who uh, who I do tweet with uh, on direct messaging. So um, there's interesting things out there, but I certainly think that it can get out of order. It can get people can get carried away, and uh, people can also be very vindictive and cowardly on the Twitter. So um, I think there's certain things in life you could control, and I can control um, how much I want to engage on it or not. And of course, no one draws out a social media storm better than Lance Armstrong. No, that's right. Well, we saw his return to the Tour de France this year, didn't we? And I had that down as my social media storm of the year, primarily because anything that uh, uh, Armstrong does tweet creates a media storm anyway, um, whether you know he likes it or not, whether anybody likes it or not. But certainly his decision to come on the Tour as part of a charity ride that was organised by the former English footballer Jeff Thomas uh, created a lot of debate. But I would say, I reckon most of it was... Uh, protest about it, about the common sense of him turning up at the tour, but he did for a couple of days. He came and went. Um, he did create a storm. His his attention or his his presence. He came and went, and uh, then the race. You know, everyone refocused back on the race. But I didn't actually go out and see him at the uh, site because he did say he was not doing any media. Well. I suddenly saw a whole bunch of media out there chasing him. So, um, you know, he, he still, I think he still likes the, the attention. He might have missed it. He might have had uh, legitimate cause to go and help a, a, a charity as well. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him for a long, long time. Uh, but I certainly believe it was, uh, uh, you know, I was more against him going out there to do it than for it, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, was, there, was there one ride this year that really uh, impressed you? Oh, look, there were a lot of them, but I, I think uh, Fabio Aru's ride uh, on the 20th stage, the penultimate stage of the Vuelta, he, uh, he didn't win it, but uh, he managed to... Um, you know, drop, or he and his uh, Astana team managed to drop uh, Tom Dumoulin 
and uh, he overtook the you know he over he got back the the race lead and I just felt that it really showed a lot of assuredness and a maturity um, by Aru that was lacking in the Giro d'Italia when he was hoping to win it and he got you know he got smacked down by uh, the eventual winner Alberto Contador. Uh, okay, Aru ended up winning two stages in the mountains near the end of the Giro, but by then Contador had the, uh, the the Giro wrapped up. But in this instance, at the end of the year, Aru had to produce a performance. He had to calculate it. He had to strategize. He and his team, and he had to do it with purpose. And I felt that he really showed a lot of purpose in uh, clinching that Vuelta ride on that uh, cl- clinching the Vuelta on the uh, penultimate stage there. Bring it closer to home. Was there any? Any rides in Australia that really kind of caught your attention? Well, being a former rower, there was one particular ride by Drew Ginn, the former rower himself, three times Olympic gold medalist, and he did the 24-hour. He made an attempt for the world 24-hour record. He got the Australian record of 836.36 kilometres riding around the Brunswick Velodrome. Uh, It's an open velodrome in Melbourne, uh, 24 hours, and um, it was a fabulous performance. I mean, uh, I don't know whether it would be a spectator sport because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of time to kill, but certainly you've got to give it to Drew again for his uh, determination, his preparation he put behind it, and he, as, as well so he did it for charity. So, I mean, that was really uh, a magnificent ride by, by Drew, and uh, anybody who knows Drew, you know, he's a, he's a super guy, um, very modest, humble bloke, but uh, he's certainly got that ticker in him. That rower's ticker is still ticking very nicely. What about, uh, you know, as far as the race of the year? Was there one particular race that really stood out to you as, as the one that really lived up to the hype and, get, and, and maybe even over-exceeded its expectations? Well, I thought the the, the uh, Ghent Wevelgen, the Belgian classic, one-day classic, that was in uh, at the end of March. I mean, the conditions were horrendous there. We saw the rain and the wind. I mean, we saw riders literally blown off, you know, into the into the, uh, the canals on the side of the road. You know, Geraint Thomas had a horrendous crash. You know, and um, you know, at the end of the day, there was a seven-man break that managed to survive and be up front. And Luca Paolini, the Italian, he won the race. But I mean, you know, it was just a rem- remarkable uh, to see those harsh conditions, and you thought. You think of other conditions, other sports where where competitions cancelled because of the rain or because of the wind or whatever, and here they had everything in this race, and they still competed with it. You know, they still, they, you know, they got to the end. Albeit there was discussion early in the year and even later in the year about whether the UCI should be enforcing stricter uh, condition laws. You know, as to whether riders when when there's a race. When are conditions too harsh to compete in? And certainly, this was one event where uh, that debate um, you know, eventuated from the outcome. But it still was a magnificent race. I'll tell you another race I did actually also really like. It was an early season race, the Kelly Evans Great Ocean Road Race, the first one. They had a, you know myriad conditions there, and it was a very tough, hard race, but not too long, but challenging enough for the peloton to really race aggressively and produce a good result. Geelong hosts. It's an excellent location to host any sporting event. We've seen in the past with the, uh, the World Championships and uh, the Ironman 70.3. It continues to do a great job. That city loves its uh, endurance sports and loves its cycling, and Victoria really shows up on the roads to support it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, So you know, that was pretty much the year. I feel like I've just gone through it all again now. I mean, I'm exhausted now, and we're only in the first week of January in, the, in 2016. When you look at 2016, is there any one thing that, uh, that you feel like you want to throw out there as a prediction? Well, I did. I made three predictions. I said uh, Chris Froome won't win the Tour. I think Nero Quintana from Colombia will actually learn 
that you can't wait till the last mountain stage to try and win the tour. I think he'll, uh, especially against Froome, he'll have to move earlier. So I think he'll learn and he'll show that he has learned and win the tour this year. Peter Zagan, the world champion. I reckon he'll win Milan San Remo. That's got so close to him before, but I think he'll get it this year. And when you talk about Olympics, um, I'm going to say, well, for the road race, I reckon Lizzie Armitstead from Britain, who was one of my top two riders of the year in this whole season uh, with Sagan uh, for 2.15, I reckon she'll get up and win the Olympics. But from an Australian point of view, Anna Mears for another gold medal in the sprint or the Kieran, or maybe both. And what about Caroline Buchanan and BMX? Uh, gee, she's going to get. I think she'll be up there for the gold this year. She was disappointed with her last Olympics, but I think uh, we all know Caroline, and she's a super champion, and uh, she will come back stronger for her disappointment back in uh, London in uh, 2012. Oh, I'd love to see her, you know, cap off her BMX career. Obviously, still an extremely um, young athlete. Uh, mid-20s. Um, I'd love to see her, uh, you know, take it to that next level, capture the gold that she missed out on in London. And and I'd love to see her move to the Velodrome next, Ruth. Hey, that would be cool. That would be cool. I mean, uh, uh, have you got some mail on that or some, some knowledge that I haven't got? I'm going to leave it at that as we go to a commercial break. <laughs> Yeah, look, I need to get a breath, my breath back again too. So we will leave everybody hanging on that one. And uh, let's take a break. And uh, we'll come back after uh, a little bit of music. And um, I'll come back with a, with a fresher voice. And uh, we'll uh, continue this great chat. You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. I wipe my brow and I sweat 
Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Now, we've mentioned this guy a few times already in the show, so you better put him up. Our special guest, Richie Port. He uh, was been riding for the Sky Team as the wingman for uh, two times tour winning, Tour de France winning Chris Froome. Uh, but now he's moved to BMC. Uh, as everyone said, it was the worst kept secret of the 215 season, his move to BMC. But it's finally happened, and he's going to be racing in BMC colours for the first time at the Australian Road Championships down in Buninyong, Victoria. Now, uh, as I said, I caught up with Richie oh, just before his, his wedding and um, about you know his move and also about the Tour de France route that was announced for next year. So I thought we'd just, first off, in, in this two-part interview, let's have a listen to what Richie had to say about next year's tour, oh, this year's Tour de France. Gosh, it's already upon us. The 216 Tour de France, in which he will be the co-leader of the BMC team with TJ Van Garderen. It's worth reminding you that this will be the first time Richie has ever got to lead a team in the Tour de France or co-lead a team. He had a crack at the Giro last year with Sky, but uh, he crashed out and, uh, well, he had he had to pull out because of injuries from crashes and various other problems that happened along the way. So this will be the big time for Richie, the big opportunity. But first up, let's just have a listen to see what Richie thinks about this year's Tour de France route. Welcome back to What A Ride, and I'm Rupert Guinness, and a very special guest with me now on the line from uh, Yorkshire, en route to Lancashire for a big day of his, is Richie Port, uh, who was riding for the Sky Team, and next year he's going to be joining BMC. But uh, just this week we've heard the new Tour de France route for 2016 has been announced, and Richie, have you had a chance to sort of uh, look at the route and see how it feels for you? Yeah, they I mean, I've had a, a quick look at it, um, you know, a couple of time trials in there. Um, looks like a Mont Ventoux and then a time trial, so that looks quite good. Um, and then there's a few climbs, you know, sort of five five days, I think, of, of climbs that aren't really that well known. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to, to go and have a look at those and see, see how they are next year. Yeah, I guess that's going to mean you'll have to do a... You know, carefully plan your season and, and incorporate some uh, some pretty thorough reconnaissance. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a stage down in Andorra, which is not you know not really that far um, from, from where. So I'm sure I'll go down and um, have a look at that. Mont Ventoux is also you know on the way. I know that one quite well, <laughs> but you know it's it's one of those climbs that you can never know too well. Yeah. Hey, Richard, I'm interested, like, you know, that the first of those two time trials you mentioned uh, is the day after Mont Ventoux. Is that going to be really hard to sort of strategize? you know, I mean, Ventoux is so hard anyway, and the race can be so fast and aggressive there, but at the same time, you could blow all your biscuits for the time trial. Do you think that's going to come into, into factor, or do you think that riders will just take it, you know, race the day as it comes and then see what they've got left in for the next day? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, it's it's day by day, really. I think you know, somebody like Quintana is probably going to go, um, you know, full gas. Like, that's how he goes all the time anyhow. But I don't think, um, you know, I think he's got to take some time on that stage before the time trial, you know, to, to beat somebody like Froomey. So for me personally, um, you know, I, I don't think I'd be holding anything back. It's, it's fun to... You can, um, you know, just as well lose as much time on that as in a time trial anyhow. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, when opportunities arise, you've, you've got to take them. And uh, that leads me to my next question, Richie, with, um, you know, this year's tour, I guess we don't, in the first week, we haven't got all the, the hazards that we've had in the last couple of years of uh, of pave, cobblestones and or uh, street furniture. But still, the first week of any tour, as you know, is is, is pretty uh, tense and frenetic. Um, are you happy that there isn't pave and, and, the, and the street furniture that we've had in uh, in Holland and in Belgium over the last couple of years? Yeah, for sure. But then there's this other thing called crosswinds, which <laughs> to me are probably just as bad. Um, you know, you, you don't need much crosswind for it to feel like you're going over a pave section with plenty of road traffic thrown in there. It's probably one of the most treacherous things you can do is, you know, starting where the tour does start next year. Um, Any time I've ever raced there, there's always crosswinds. So I think, you know, the organisers, kind of like that stress in the first week and, and they're going to get it next year anyhow with you know some of the roads that we are going to go along well one of the you know the team you've got uh, bmc for next year i mean they are a very strong team uh, in being able to protect their their leaders they've done it with uh, tj van garderen in the past and also cadell evans and uh, good strong strapping riders there which will, i'm sure will be selected for that area that, that for that part of the race um Speaking of that, though, are you um, was it a, you a bit disappointed there wasn't a team time trial uh, uh, in this year's tour because BMC are a, a top class unit for that. Yeah, I think it was kind of expected that you know we, we probably weren't going to have a team time trial next year. But for me, um, you know, moving over from Sky to BMC, where they do put so much emphasis on um, time trialing, it's um, you know I'm excited. I know I can time trial. I just don't feel that I been able to do a good time trial um, other than um, Cold Airs, which is uphill um, in Paris this year, and then uh, Aussie Nationals, which was at the start of the year. So for me, I'm sort of excited to be you know, really working on that role with um, Alan Piper going into next year. So I think yeah, it, it will suit me. Yeah, yeah, well, it's pretty exciting, and uh, in just in a few minutes, we'll talk about that with your change with with BMC. But um, for for the route this year, for next year, I mean, it's going to be a uh, anti clockwise route through the Pyrenees, and then uh, then across to the Alps and the Jura, and also we've got this stop into Switzerland. Do you, do you prefer an anti clockwise or a clockwise route? Yeah, well, it's actually strange that um, I don't think they usually do um, two years anti-clockwise normally. I mean, this year we did it anti-clockwise as well. We did the Pyrenees first and then into the Alps. But um, and normally I'd prefer the, the Alps, but this year, you know, the Pyrenees were quite good. But, um, you know, it's always exciting when you hit the Pyrenees first. I think it's, it's a totally different um climb than, than what the Alps are. It's, it's a little bit steeper and, um, you know, they're long as well. So I think it's going to put, um, you know, GC could be quite shaken up um, by the time we, we come out of the Pyrenees. Yeah, yeah. I think, are you happy with, with the balance of summit finishes? And, and I know in, in the tour route there are more mountains than, than last year, I think three or four more mountains. But are you happy with, I think it's four summit finishes? Is that a, a good balance for you? Yeah, for sure. I think it is. Um, you know, falls falls quite. Uh, you know, obviously, there's other hard um, stages without a summit finish. But um, I think for me, for me as a, a climber, next year yeah, the tour uh, is, is quite a nice race.
Yeah, yeah. Now, I guess uh, we've heard Chris Froome, your your uh, ex-teammate, well, I guess as soon as the, the, the calendar switches over to 2.16, your ex-teammate, he feels that it's a, a better route than last year's for him. Um, would you agree with that? And would you do you think it's a better route for you than, than uh, last year, or this year, I should say? Yeah, 100%. I think um, the organisers tried to, to make it as hard as they could for Chris Froome this year um, with, you know, no long time trial. But, you know, we saw that Froome is, you know, he's he's the, the general classification rider of his generation. I think he's, he's the man to beat. So if he's, he's happy with it, then, um, you know, he's going to be hard to, to beat. But, um, you know, certainly from my point of view... Um, you know, this year in the tour wasn't really my uh, it wasn't really my race to target. So I'm just looking forward to being able to target the race um, firstly, and, and uh, you know I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's exciting times. Well, uh, I'm talking with Richie Port here uh, uh, from the well. He will be joining the BMC team next year. Uh, this is his last year with with Sky. We're going to take a quick little break, listen to some good music, and then uh, if Richie can just stay on the line, and then uh, we'll come back to you in a minute. i 
Welcome back to Water Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness with my co-host, partner in crime, Aaron S. Lee. Well, Aaron, we just heard Richie talk about the Tour de France route. Um, it's almost pretty exciting when you hear him talk about the uh, the, the party likes, the concerns, um, because, you know, he's talking now as a leader or a co-leader of the team rather than being the guy who can help Chris Froome. So he's has to, he has to look at this course for his own purposes, his own gain and benefit. Uh, what, what, what did you make of that? Well, Rube, I, I, the first question I, I, I take from there is how do you really successfully co-lead a team in a race of that magnitude? Now, I know it's been done... Um, throughout the last 100 years, and, and you've had an opportunity to cover about three decades of those. So I, I want to hear it from you. How many times th- does, that, does that formula, does that strategy work? And can TJ and Richie Port coexist in that role, especially when considering TJ has tasted the top five twice and uh, Richie is looking to get in that podium spot uh, and challenge for GC. Is, is, this a, is this a match made in heaven or a disaster waiting to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, certainly it's not easy. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, we saw, you know, you, you reflect back on, uh, you know, Bernardino and Greg LeMond. You know, we saw uh, their sort of internal uh, struggles that they had. Um, uh, but they managed to, you know, I guess Hino got one to a win and then so did LeMond the next year in 86, uh, 85 and 86, uh, Hino and then LeMond, and they were teammates. A fractured relationship, certainly that was. Um, and even more, more currently i guess we've seen um with movistar uh, quintana and um uh alejandro valverde uh, but saying that they got second and third didn't they they didn't get the win but i guess uh, it did uh, show that they can be up there um i think but although we saw last year that movistar perhaps should have uh, been more aggressive earlier in the race so to answer your question uh, yeah it's going to be uh, a delicate uh, situation i think aaron i think certainly jim okowitz would have uh, the manager of uh, bmc you know he's spoken to both those riders and those riders have spoken to each other about how they're going to manage it but as we know it's easy to say one thing and it's in the, the heat of competition that every, all these uh, all the bonhomie gets uh, challenged or tested at the very least um the old cliche the course will decide um, that will happen. I mean, uh, one thing about these two riders, Van Garder and, and Port, they both believe they haven't produced their best yet. As you said, uh, Van Garder is twice fifth. Richie, uh, his best in the Grand Tour, goes back to his debut in the Giro in 2.10, where he got uh, seventh, but uh, he's yet to produce a, a solid three weeks um, uh, for his own purpose since. So I think, um, yeah, a lot of an- unanswered questions, Aaron, but I tell you what, enough of listening to my excuse, or my reason, sorry. Um, let's listen to the man himself, Richie Port, in the second part of the interview, because we spoke a bit about that, uh, and also about, you know, life after Sky, and what's it going to be like at BMC, as you said, with TJ Van Garderen, and also what are going to be some of the challenges uh, ahead. And um, Richie also talks a little bit about the Olympics as well, which obviously has come up straight after the Olympic, after the Tour de France. So, obviously, that has an impact on on, on training and preparation. So, uh, first up, let's just take a little bit of listen, listen to a bit of music first, and then we'll come back uh, and we'll gather around the fire and uh, sing Kumbaya, and then we'll lead into uh, Richie Port's uh, second part of his interview. We're going to the trap 
You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and my co-host Aaron S. Lee. But we're going to give you a breather. You're not going to listen to us. We're going to go straight to part two of the Richie Port interview where he talks about life after Sky with BMC, the future, 2016. Van Garderen, TJ Van Garderen, his teammate, 
Tour de France and the Olympics. Let's have a listen. Welcome back to Water Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness and with me is our special guest, Australian cyclist Richie Port, who uh, has been riding for the Sky team, but uh, next year he's going to be joining BMC. Uh, we've been talking with Richie about uh, the Tour de France route that's just been announced for next year, but uh, Richie, I'd love to talk to you briefly about uh, your, your move to BMC, how it came about and, and how excited are you about the uh, the future ahead? Um, well, it came about um, sort of... Yeah, before the tour, um, you know, it, it was kind of the worst kept secret, I think, of um, <laughs> professional cycling was that that I am leaving uh, Sky at the end of the year. But um, you know, for me, it's it's a it's a massive opportunity. I think um, you know, I've spent four years in Sky, which have been brilliant, and you know, I've really enjoyed my, my time there. I've been part of three Tour de France winning teams, which doesn't really happen. Um, you know, very often. So then the opportunity to to go out and, and try for myself. You know, um, I'm not not saying that I'm going to come win the tour or whatever, but I feel that I need to give myself the opportunity. I've ridden, you know, so many years in um, support of of other, you know, stars. I guess like Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome, Contador, the, all these guys. So you know, I think winning races like Paris Nice and Catalonia this year have shown me that I do need to take the opportunity for myself um you know at least give myself the the chance to to see what i can do yeah yeah i think that's only you know fair to yourself with all the effort you put into a career um at this point of your career too it's it's you know you're going to find out one way or the other and and i think it you know it's it's great that you know a team's been able to um as much as you appreciate the opportunities you had at Sky, it's great that a team like BMC have come forward. Um, and I know that, you know, back in 212, correct me if I'm wrong, they were pretty interested in trying to get you then as well, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Um, you know, obviously, that was when Cadell was still there and, you know, I talked with him about coming across and, um, you know, 2011 we were speaking about going across to BMC. But, you know, in the end... Uh, at the, at the time, the, the best thing for me was to go to Team Sky, and uh, you know, no, I have no um, problems with that. Sky has been absolutely brilliant for me the last four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking, you know, you did mention Cadell, obviously Australia's first and and still only Tour de France winner. But you know, BMC has a pretty strong flavour. You know, it's not just Cadell who uh, he's still with BMC as a global ambassador for the brand, the bicycle brand. But you mentioned Alan Piper before in high performance, and uh, Rowan Dennis is really coming on, and he's had some experience in the yellow jersey now on the tour, the leaders' jersey, and young Campbell Flakemore who. Uh, um, started this year off really strongly at the two down, or uh, at the nationals, and in the two down under, he, he crashed out obviously with a broken collarbone. But I mean, do you feel that you're going into a, a quasi Australian team, or is it really a, an international feel? <laughs> yeah, look, I think it is more of a quasi Australian team than uh, than most people realise. You know, obviously Alan Piper's quite high up. Um, in the organisation, he, he's the one I've had the most to do with um, so far. But you know, Rohan Dennis is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be the next big thing in Australian cycling. I think he's uh, shown that this year in the Tour de France, winning that stage. But I, I sort of felt that you know sometimes um, riding the Tour and and Tour Down Under was uh, you know the, the the most Aussies other than Green Edge were always wearing the PNC jerseys. So. I sort of feel like, you know, in some ways it's it's probably going to be more support than riding for a, a British team. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is ostensibly it is hard, isn't it? Uh, I mean, uh, Sky have declared their sort of uh, that they are a British team and they they've remained pretty loyal throughout to to uh, represent British cycling in in, in in a way, haven't they? Yeah, I mean they have, and uh, you know I think the fact that, you know obviously Froomey's English, he's the best GC rider, so you know they're always going to back him. But um, you know I think in some ways professional cycling is not about the passports that you have. But um, yeah, I think Sky is very you know sort of British based. But I, I'm, I'm you know the, the cycling boom that they've had after Brad. And Chris winning Tour de France and Cavendish, you know, winning basically everything there is to win. Then, you know, there is massive cycling talent here in Britain, and and um, you know they do need to develop it. You know, they're a British backed team, so I understand that. But you know, for for an Australian, I, I feel that um, you know I did need to leave to you know not just ride the Giro for myself, but to ride the Tour de France. I, I did have to. Look. Yeah. Now, with with Froome, obviously a lot of people know that you, you guys are good mates. Uh, in his two wins, you've had a very crucial role in those victories, and specifically on on two occasions and on the same mountain, Alpe d'Huez, which I guess we're not going to next year. But uh, back in 2013, when he had hunger flat on Alpe d'Huez, you got those gels for him. And then um, this year on Alpe d'Huez, an absolutely stunning ride to help him there. Do you, knowing that, do you, are you able to sort of tap into what you know is uh, his weaknesses and use them to your advantage now? And if so, will that be hard for you to sort of, uh, I guess, cross the line in that friendship? Yeah, because, I mean, I think everybody has, um, you know, bad days, but it's just more obvious when, when he's often in the, in the yellow jersey when he does. But the thing that I've learned um, riding so close to, to Chris is that he doesn't really have um, many weaknesses, but I think, you know, 2013 up to where that was a mistake on his behalf, which he's never made since. But mm-hmm. then this year, uh, people don't realise just how sick that Froome was that day. But, um, you know, I'd never exploit, um, you know, Chris in any situation. He's a good mate, but, you know, I think it's, um, but a lot of other guys are going to have bad days as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got to take the opportunities. But, it's a shame that uh, Alpe isn't in there. So, you know, one of the, the the best stages of the Tour de France you could um, ride. But I'm sure, you know, if it's not next year, we'll be in there in 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know you've been asked this a lot, uh, Richie, about um, you know you're going to be uh, uh, you know riding with uh, TJ Van Garder and the American cyclist who's twice come come fifth in the tour. And I know you said you've spoken to him about you know how you guys are going to handle that that leadership role and and how the the race itself will you know, would I guess it always does at the end it works out who's the stronger of the two on the day or on on that tour. But um, in your discussions, have you been able to talk sort of you know quite in depth about the potential? Potential challenges of a, of that relationship, or have you just spoken about how you know? Well, we'll just see how it goes. Look, yeah, obviously the road decides all of that. But mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's been great that you know TJ did pick up the phone and, and um, you know to me about it. But I mean, it's not um, it's not you know uncommon that there are two guys going for general classification and we've seen it with Brad and, and Froome we know how that worked out but then there's also Quintana and uh, Valverde in, in uh, mm-hmm. they were second and third this year in the tour so I think uh, TJ and I are 
pretty good friends, you know, off the bike, and uh, I'm sure we can we can deal with it. I mean, it's also easier to have two guys there because it is, you know, all the stress one guy. And uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, Sky are always going to ride as they do, which is take it on, and um, you know that it also makes it easier from. Um, a point of view that you don't need so many guys in the mountains so I think that TJ and I will be you know just fine yeah 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 and I guess it comes down to being honest doesn't it you know which is it sounds simple I know it's not always that that easy in, in this in the world of professional sport but if you can at least start with a base premise of being honest with each other uh, that's as good as a start you'll guess you'll get yeah I mean I think I'm mad enough to to tell um, you know, TJ, if I'm not on a good one, and, and uh, I'd expect that he's exactly the same with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the, uh, the the Tour de France, like you know, I understand is your main goal for the year, uh, which I which I understand will mean you you wouldn't do the Giro as well. But have you actually sat down, or have you had a chance to sit with Alan Piper and or Jim Ockwitz to sort of strategize in detail your your season and when it will start and what the pre uh, earlier goals may be for the year for you? Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, in the in the in the part. So, I'm going to sit down with um, those guys on on the second of November and um, sort of work out my my plan. But uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be in Australia uh, late December, so obviously I'll start um, either nationals or, or tour down under, which is you know exciting to to start with your new team in your uh, home country. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how will how will you and Roman go in the uh, in the nationals? I mean, the time trial, I guess, will be some, it's mano a mano there. But I mean, in the two down under, <laughs> will will it be a case of you know giving or allowing? We'll see how Rowan is to to defend his title, or would you still like to to jag the title? Well, I'd love to jag the title. You know, it's obviously when you're walking up into the Hilton uh, there in Adelaide. You know, I'd love to have my name on the <laughs> on one of those steps as a, a Winner, but um, you know, I think obviously this season uh, I was sort of started down under in really good shape, but uh, I'm not so sure that I'll be in as good a shape um, next year. I think with my goals being more uh, July, I think I'll probably be a little, uh, you know, not quite as fit, but I'd still love to win Wollonga one of the last two years. So, you know, I'd love to win it three times in a row, that'd be uh. Quite a nice little hat trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if um, uh, I guess it'd be probably a historic hat trick as well. After, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean to be honest, with you, I think uh, that one day shows just the strength of Australian cycling. You know, the support that we have up that continent. It feels like you are riding up. You know, these are coals in, in the Tour de France. It, the atmosphere up there is just that good. Yeah, yeah. And and Richard, during the year leading up to the Tour, obviously I guess you'll have moments you want to sort of uh, get those performance indicators. Um, you know, obviously this year, you know, you're winning a lot of races. Do you feel that, that in 2016 there may be less, say, uh, need to have to win races? I mean, I'm sure you'll win them if you can, but is it more like you just want to have that steady, consistent build-up of form leading to July rather than to say this year where you were winning races and I guess you also had to sort of reaffirm your leadership for the Giro you know uh, that where you were going to be leading Sky for the first time yeah obviously you always like to win um, races like Paris-Nice and and Catalonia Um, I think it's possible to uh, 
sort of target, you know, apparent Nice and Catalonia. But um, also then in August, we've got the Olympics next year, and that's a massive goal for me. So, mm. um, you know, I don't think it's easy to um, qualify <laughs> for Australia there. But to be honest, I'd probably prefer to be, uh, you know, absolutely flying for you know, July, August, rather than um, in, in February, March, like I was this year. I think, you know, it's a lot more of an incentive to um, take it easy at the start of the year and um, not as easy as you can. Yeah. You, know, you still have to get UCI points, which you do get by winning, uh, you know, these stage races. So, um, you know, it's, I guess, we'll find out more um, hmm. In November, when my race program's made official. Yeah, yeah, and, and at least then you can, next year you can, you can make that steady build-up where you can also maintain your health. You know, you could be healthy, really healthy and really strong. Um, you know, so if there are days where you're a little bit crook in other races, it's not going to be, you know, you may have to, you know, ease up a bit now and then if you feel a tickle in the throat or something like that because you really want to be at that top-end form for July and August. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I think there was times this year when, you know, it was obvious that I had an injury, um, which has, you know, since been diagnosed as something called piriformis syndrome, which if you'd asked me that this time last year, I wouldn't have had a clue what it was. But, <laughs> you know, I've been struggling with that um, for most of the year, but then I knew I was in great shape, so I just kept pushing it. And, uh, mm. you know, that's something that I'd rather not have to do next year, and I don't see that I, I will have to. Well, Dr. Port, I understand it's, uh, you're, uh, you know, you've got a lot of stuff happening and, um, and I know you're, you're a busy guy and you're about to go and hit the road soon. Like I said uh, earlier before the break that you're in um, Yorkshire now, but you're going to be making your way up the road to Lancashire and uh, I believe in your company will be Gemma, who, your fiancé, and the big day, your marriage is looming. Nine days away as we speak, I understand. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of... <laughs> Yeah, nice to um, to have to do in the off season. He's getting married, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, I think that will be certainly going to help for next year. You know, having a, a much more balanced um, personal life, having a wife, and um, you know, it's just that uh, at the moment, looking out the window, the weather's not really <laughs> playing its part. And you know, being the UK, I don't expect it to uh, be any better than it is today. Yeah, well, it's going to be a great time for you, Richie, and, uh, you know, we wish you all the very, very best, and uh, I know a lot of uh, people here in Australia will be uh, thinking of you next year raising a glass. I will be, certainly, and um, uh, and we wish you and Gemma all the very, very best, mate, and uh, have a great day, and, and also thanks for talking to us on What A Ride, and all the, all the best. We'll see you when you get down to Oz, um, but in the moment, stay safe, stay healthy, and enjoy the big day next week. Oh, thanks very much. It's much appreciated. You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee, and you were just listening to Richie Port, the co-leader with TJ Van Garderen of the American BMC team for 2016 and on. Well, Aaron, I thought that was a pretty engaging, uh, uh, I wouldn't say conversation because I was the other part of it, but certainly some, some interesting comments by Richie there and you can tell that he's pretty pumped for this year and, and looking at it from a positive frame set, frame mind because uh, he understands the, uh, the delicate nature of being a co-leader, I think, and uh, I can only just wish him and TJ all the very best that they can you know, work it out well and they both end the season or the Tour de France uh, not just as good mates but uh, with some good results to, to celebrate. 
we saw Richie come into 2015 as focused as he has ever been. The thing about Richie is 2015 didn't necessarily go to his plans. Now, he rides with a new team, a team that is a, he's a leader going into the Tour de France with, with T.J. Van Garden, a, a, a rider, an American rider, three years younger than, than Port. Um, I, I don't know T.J. well enough to know just how competitive he is as an individual, but you and I both know how competitive Richie Port is, and uh, I'm still not convinced <laughs> on that uh, on the strategy with BMC going in with two leaders, but uh, I am convinced that uh, there's no more heart and no more determination than anyone uh, than Richie Port. Yeah, it'll be interesting also to see, you know, he did say how, you know, he wasn't going to be starting this season on that form you spoke of that he had in the beginning of 2015 because, I guess, first up, um, you know, his uh, his program, which since, I should clarify, since that interview, he has confirmed his program, his race program for this year. Obviously, he's not doing the Giro d'Italia. Um, you know, after uh, the Australian program, he'll be doing Paris-Nice and then he'll uh, lead into Catalonia again, which he won last year. Uh, Tour de Romandy, Dauphiné, uh, Criterium to Dauphiné, and then the Tour de France. That's pretty much his program. A similar one to TJ Van Garder, and Van Garder is going to do Torino Adriatico. But anyway, what I was saying is that it's going to be, he's going to have more of a steady lead into a peak, hopeful, a hopeful peak in July and for August, the Olympic Games. So, whereas this last year he came in all guns firing, and uh, so now he's going to have a steadier lead in, and I hope, hopefully, that means he's going to be uh, healthier for longer at that crunch period of the year. It's hard to talk about BMC and not talk about Rowan Dennis, especially in the month of January. You talk about someone who uh, performed outside himself last year in the first six to eight weeks of the season. Rowan Dennis certainly did. And I also want to get your thoughts about one young Campbell Flaymore who decided to call it quiz, if there's any updates on that. Yeah, very, very interesting. I mean, obviously on Rowan, I mean, uh, what a year he had last year. And, he, and uh, it's interesting, I read an interview, he said recently, um, not quote-unquote, but just paraphrasing, basically he said he saw there were still areas he was disappointed with in his season. So it shows how much he's a, a high achiever, whereas, uh, you know, we all see him, understandably, he had a fantastic year and achieved some great results uh, on the track with his hour record and on the road. Uh, and I think particularly with his uh, time trial win in the state one of the Tour de France, which got him a day in the yellow jersey. And then in the team time trial, you could see all these great moments he had, but he still sees some of the disappointments and he wants to fill, uh, I guess, the, the gap between the the, uh, the successes and win more races. Um, so he's, he's certainly seeking high, and I think he sees himself as a, as, a, as a Grand Tour contender in a few years' time, and justifiably so, I think. Um, now, as for Campbell Flakemore, I remember we saw him at the beginning of last year, and do you remember, Aaron, when he was riding, you know, that his first race for BMC was with Cadell Evans. His first race in Cadell Evans' uh, near last race, well, it was at the Tour Down Under after the Nationals. But it was, um, it was uh, very exciting to see such a wide-eyed, keen, and obviously a very strong rider at then the reigning under-23 time trial, world time trial champion. But obviously he, um, you know, it wasn't just for him. His, uh, his debut year of life as a pro in Europe just wasn't for him. And, you know, credit to him for making the decision, which would have been a harsh decision, to, uh, to return. And, 
not pursue that career uh, for now, at least. Uh, I, I think it's you know it's it's a lot harder than people realise over there. And uh, just because you've got a great uh, you're, you're you've got you're a superb athlete and everything doesn't mean you're necessarily got the full makeup to be able to um, embrace life as a professional cyclist in Europe, um, particularly for an Australian. Um, you know, I think you know the best main thing for Campbell now is just to get back to doing what he wants to do. And you never know that flame may come back up again, and he may want to uh, to to race again. Um, but as far as what he's if, if he's changed his mind or not, I haven't heard anything. Uh, but certainly, it'd be nice to see him around the road. H- hopefully, if he's smiling, that's the main thing, and he's enjoying his life. Any predictions um, with the Nationals coming up this week? Do you have any? Oh look, uh, gee, well, for the women's race, um, uh, you know, like. Well, we spoke about Gracie Elvin before, didn't we? You know, I mean, she's going to be uh, she's going to be in the mix, isn't she? Um, and you know, Orica is, is, is the defending champion Peter Mullins. Is she racing? Yeah, she's racing. She actually raced the uh, the uh, the crit series, you know, and she was up and amongst it, you know. So I think I think she'll be, uh, you know, she's she's had a good year of, of solid year of uh, racing, you know, obviously on, on the uh, on the fat tires of mountain biking, and uh, but uh, saw a great picture of her the other day saying, which she she put it on her Facebook saying, I don't often get to ride on the skiddy tires, but when I do. You know, I give it something or something like to that effect. She was in, she was attacking anyway. So obviously, she's uh, she's going to be. You know, she'll be giving it a good shake to defend that that jersey, and um, and I think. Uh, but you know, with Orica AIS, they're going to have a very strong team, aren't they? And they're going to be very hard to beat. But Peter Mullins did it last year, didn't she? So, so who says it, who says it can't happen again? Now, that, that said, to a group on the men's side, Heinrich Hausler, check the Tour Down Under website. I'm on it now. I'm looking at the IM Cycling team roster for the TDU. Heinrich's not on that list. Uh, his uh, compatriots, Lee Howard um, and David Tanner, Lee Howard, uh, coming over from Orca. Um, just, uh, but Heinrich's not there. Any news on Hausler? No, I, um, I, no, I haven't, unfortunately. Um, you caught me on the hop there. Good on you. No, I haven't. Uh, I think, um, you know, maybe he, he well, I can't speak for, for his behalf. Maybe, I'm just thinking maybe he, he's thinking of not wanting to come and have a, you know, come to Australia where he's expected to be on early top form and then maybe um, fall into a dip later. Maybe he wants to start a bit later and have a bit more of a steady lead into the year and try and be solid through the Classics campaign um, and into the rest of his program. You know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of Australian riders do find, you know, it's, because they're Australian and they come down here and the competition down here and the racing's so hard now, if you, want, if you want to be in the race, you've got to be race fit for it and you have to be at, a, at, a, at an early peak. Um, and some riders, you know, find adjusting to that quite hard. And uh, maybe Heinrich is thinking, maybe I'll just rather focus on the European season this year. Um, you know, he had his year, you know, wearing the, the uh, national champions jersey. Um, that experience alone would have been would have been fantastic. But I'm sure he's got uh, his his mind or his goals are further ahead. And for guys like um, David Tanner and Lee Howard, I mean, it's a great opportunity for them to uh, sort of leave their imprint on on their new team and uh, to you know restore the faith that the team's put in, into them by signing them up. Already been a great start to the season. You mentioned Pat Shaw at the Bay Crits. Uh, very impressed with him, uh, what the old man is doing. Was quite <laughs> impressed with young Britton Jones with Draypack, um, showing a couple of podium places there as well. He's, he's obviously moved into that sprinter role, that number one sprinter role with the absence of uh, Walter Whippet, who's gone on to Cannondale. 
Um, so it, it, it looks like he's going to do quite well. And I'm very excited looking ahead uh, past the Nationals um, to the Tour Down Under and Team Dimension Data, formerly MTN Quebec, to see Cameron Meyer and Nathan Haas uh, and Mark Rinshaw team up with Tyler Farrar and, uh, and see what the, the guys from uh, the rest of the guys over there in uh, South Africa can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be an exciting year. Exciting year. So I think, you know, what we should do, Aaron, no, we, better, um, we better give it a, better wrap it up because it's been uh, an engaging chat with us, at least. And um, I think uh, it just shows how much is happening in the world of cycling, isn't it? You know, and we didn't even get into triathlon on this show. We've got to talk about the Hawaii Ironman, but maybe we can give another week's reflection and come back to that with a look ahead to uh, the season to come for Ironman and, and triathlon as well. Absolutely, of course, it is indeed Olympic year. We talked about it's Rio 2016. There's going to be a lot to talk about in, uh, in athletics as well. Okay, Aaron. Well, one last question for, before, for you before you go and before we wrap it up. What are, you, what are you planning for the next couple of weeks? Where can we expect to hear from you? Or should I be you know, wondering, expecting a knock on the door here back in Sydney? <laughs> you know, one thing you know about me, Ruth, you never know anything about me. I, I, I very well could be right now still in New Orleans, loving life, and just absolutely excited to, to be kicking off another season of What a Ride, and obviously another season of pro cycling and triathlon. That's great, Aaron. It's always great to hear from you, and hopefully we'll see you down there at the TDU, the Two Down Under, which will be in Adelaide, South Australia, from January 16 to January 24. I've got my dates right. But first up, we've got the National Championships. When we hear from us again, for all of you out there listening to What a Ride, we'll be able to talk back and reflect back on the National Championships to see how they unfolded or not, and see how correct or wrong Aaron and I were, but uh, thanks for listening to us once again. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. Wish you all a happy and safe New Year. Remember, stay safe out there. A meter matters. What a ride. Happy New Year, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to us. That's goodbye from myself and Aaron.
Let me into shape 